Jason Hendrick. I am a, a singer uh, and actor and teacher here in the Washington D.C. slash Baltimore uh, region. Um, performed with Kali. Uh, uh, who, who, who is deigned to employ me? Uh, <laughs> Many people. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, now I'm just blanking. Uh, Palace Theater Collective, uh, Lead the Hungry Theater. Uh, and uh, also taught at uh, Washington College and uh, the Peabody Preparatory. Cool, and J this was all kind of Jason's idea. He mentioned it once a while back because he is an avid wine, women, and song listener and uh, decided that he wanted to take part. So this was sort of his, his brainchild that Jay then fleshed out. I crave attention. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of pressure on you to contribute tonight. I know. Yeah, I, right. I, I, I better yeah, be. I better I be really good if I yeah. just climb up here. Yeah. Never gonna be invited back. <laughs> and beside you is. I'm Joseph Hava, and I am uh, the only non-singer here tonight. Um, I am a pianist in the Baltimore area. Uh, I do a lot of teaching and a lot of performing, and I do play for a number of singers. So I feel like I have a little bit of knowledge of that this evening. So looking forward to that. And Joe, we should mention Joe is also married to one of our podcast regulars, Jessica Satapa. Yes. If you didn't notice the, uh, the, the last same last name, name there, yes, yes that, it, that it's not a not brother and sister. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that is our, our group for this evening. Now, since I am hosting tonight, I get to choose the theme, or I was able to choose the theme, and so I chose big meaty reds as the wine theme oh yeah yes mm. yes so um for big meaty reds like that means not pinot noirs not gamays not sort of the the gentle reds but more of the cabernet the petite syrah malbec shiraz syrah some zinfandels i would say might even be sort of big and meaty and blends right and blends blends can be big and meaty as well um and then to go along with that, I figured since we have all men as our guests this evening, that we would have some big meaty music. And so uh, I think I'm at least pleased with the, the selections that came in for the big meaty music, and, and also hence why we had some sausage earlier, right, Jay? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I usually don't need more, but uh, yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. 
delicious offering. Yeah. Well, I think the uh, vocal selections are as varied and as bold as the sausage selections we enjoyed. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Um, so. All right, well, I will get started pouring wine number one here. Would it be okay with you, Hostess, if I yes. talk about what makes a wine big? Sure, yes. So um, yes, there are three free. things that make uh, wines bigger. Um, one is the alcohol content. Things higher in alcohol feel like they have a larger body in your mouth, kind of like fat does in, say, milk. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, another component that adds um, to body and makes something big is actually residual sugar, which normally you find more in, like, um, Rieslings and sweet white wines. You don't often find them in red wines, but nowadays you will see, especially in, if you look at like barefoot wines, you'll see sweet red blend or things. And they have residual sugar in some of these red wines to give them not just sweetness, but a little bigger body, which a lot of uh, Americans like. And there are others that have a little residual sugar that you may not know and they don't advertise, like Apothic Red has some residual sugar in it. Um, and then also another thing that adds to body that makes uh, it that is more common. So we, alcohol content always has it. Uh, there's the sugar content, rare and rare in red wines, but becoming a little more common. And the last is um, the tannic. So when you have um, more tannins, it can add to that body, that large mouthfeel. Mm -hmm. So there you go. Yeah. And so um, I should, since this is all new for, for our gentlemen this evening, I have put a dump bucket here. Should you feel like you don't want to finish the wine or you can't finish the wine before we move on to the next one, feel free to dump out. Duly noted. And another thing we always do is we click glasses. So, you know. Cheers. 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 I tell you, my wife is so jealous because of big, old, meaty reds are her favorite wines of all time. So, uh...
Yeah. yeah, big and meaty for yeah, sure. Yeah, that is mm-hmm. that's a big meaty singing. Wow. Whose choice was that? So that was my choice. Uh, I I played that this summer for a couple of singers, and when I got the invitation for this, I heard big meaty reds and big juicy arias. This was the first that came to mind for me, and uh, and Samuel Ramey really brings yeah. it. So. Yeah. An easy choice for me. Uh, and Spain, and I'm chewing on this wine right now, it's so mm-hmm. beefy, so mm-hmm. perfect combo. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Sam Raimi. Have we said, have we said what the piece is? Yes, he said. Uh, Walter Coast. Oh, yeah. Walter Coast. Uh, Walter Coast, yeah. Uh, Vizes Carmen. Mm-hmm. Also and known the, as the Toreador song. The Toreador song, yes. Non opera. Initiated. Sam Little Ramey was the. Uh, I, I am fairly initiated. I have referred to it as, as such on more than one occasion. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, people say that all the time, just like they say, um, like, uh, they have lots of nicknames for all of them. They say, you know, um, who's that as Waltz? They don't. Right. You know, they, yes, it's true. Yeah, Count's Aria. Yeah, exactly. Count's Aria, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And who refers to it? Vendor Mentrio Sospiro? No. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so that, great choice. Yeah, really, perfect. Um, I mean, Escamillo, like he's... Mm-hmm. Well, that is definitely yeah. like a balls-to-the-wall moment in exactly. opera. And that was a live recording, too. Live recording. Mm-hmm. Do we know where it was from? Yes. So it is. Uh, it is a 1987 <laughs> recording, and it is, it's the Met, um, mm-hmm. with James Levine conducting. Um, and also the Met Chorus, Met Orchestra. So, and I believe it was a uh, they made like a TV DVD version of I it. I think so. Yeah. I, think I wonder if I've seen it. I'm sure you've seen that. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. The uh, Carmen is, is uh, Agnes Balza. Yeah. So. I have. Yes, I have seen. Yeah, yeah I have mm-hmm. seen it. Long time ago. I remember this. That recording <laughs> was. I was funny. I, ju- I just visited my, uh, my the first college I attended before I moved to East, and uh, at. Cabrillo College, and they had a little theater lab where I had a bunch of uh, movies and recordings and stuff like that. And one of them was the Agnes Balza um, Carmen from the Met with Sam Raimi. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have not thought about that for a very long time. Yeah. Oh, so good. And then, get, go ahead. You. you cannot get any more easy singing in this aria than him in this part point in his career. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can tell the. It's a very rangy piece for that voice type. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's a lower male. Yeah, right. I, yeah. I mean, it's terrifying for both baritones and basses and bass mm-hmm. baritones, really. I mean, anyone of the, sings it. Of the color required and the range, you know, the difference between act act um, two and three is, you know, it's a big difference in tessitura. Mm-hmm. So that usually it's the, the aria that scares people. You know, the, the baritones especially because you have those low. Those low notes that you have to bring on and just make rich, and which which he does that without effort, and then also the evenness up to the top yeah. voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's disgusting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, right. no, but I mean, talk about like Amazing. extraordinary careers yeah. in in music. I mean, yeah. what didn't he do in, at some point in his career and do it better than damn near anyone else? Mm-hmm. I mean, he did. You know, bel canto. He did dramatic rep. He did sure. you know song rep. He did he did this this baritone, bass baritone rep. I mean, yeah. How many other basses do you know that sing Escamilla? There's a few. Yeah. A few. Yeah. Yeah. Very few. Yeah. yeah. Well, but uh, how many basses basses sing Escamilla that do it better than most yeah. most baritones? That's 
That's ever. that's extraordinary. And, and holds the note for like ever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, his five for exactly the reasons that they, that you just yeah. said. And yeah, his five voice has always been special. I mean, it, it, with him, it's been the last thing to go. I, I heard him do Johnny Skiki um, in Washington when I was a young artist there, and uh, you know he was still sounding great. Middle voice was a little bit harder for him, but when he popped that G, it was as glorious as it was 20 years ago. Amazing wow. technique this guy had. So that's a cool choice. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, and I think when you choose a singer like Raimi in this, you change the character of Escamillo mm -hmm. to be like a bit tougher, a bit more. You know, it's always young, virile in a sense, you know, like young stud. This is more like young, virile, and like ripped because yeah. it's straight across all yeah. registers. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Yeah, he was all comfortable with his shirt off back then, too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there you yeah. go. <laughs> well, the, the, the funny thing is, the, this aria is so much about machismo, about confidence, about coming into the room, you sweep into the room. It's the first time you see him. First time you're, yeah. you're seen, yeah. the first time you're heard. Um, you have to storm the stage and take it, you know, by force. And when you have an instrument like his and his command of it, I think that lends a extra level of confidence. Whereas mm -hmm. someone, you know, like me who's backstage, like, oh crap, here this thing comes. I got to make sure everything's even. You know, I'm thinking about so much, so many things to get through the, the aria. Mm -hmm. When you can just, like him, I'm sure, just be comfortable with it because he, he knows he can nail it every time. Um, I think that adds another level of that kind of swagger and confidence oh, yeah. in the role. Um, you can hear it in his singing, he's free, he's not worried about anything. Yeah, no. and, well, and totally, nice. like on the, the YouTube video as well, for, to our listeners, if you get the opportunity, I highly recommend and go watch this because he's just, mm -hmm. he's totally Escamillo and, you know, into it. And, it, and it's, you can tell it's very easy for him. So. Well, I think it's a, a unique challenge in opera to, to, have, to have a role, and there are a bunch of roles that do this, where you just have to come out and sing the most famous thing in the opera, <laughs> right? or in this yeah. case, the entire operatic yeah. repertoire. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, I mean, and then sort of the other thing you can know is Celeste Aida. You know, oh, I mean, but, but, uh, Barbara Seville? The Barbara Seville, yeah. 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 yeah, I mean, sure. just I mean, because so much has to happen in the music and the story. I mean, there's so much that has to be conveyed. You have to get that character right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And if you get, hopefully, you get someone that knows how to just you know, yeah. clear the stage because I'm going to downstairs right. center. Yeah. You know, and, and mm -hmm. I'm going to yeah. flirt with every woman in the room. You right. know. Good choice. And those moments yeah. at the at the at the end too, they're they're so interesting. They, it's like when you hear them on studio recordings, they never work, do they? Mm, yeah, not you know, when, when, when all the women know, like, oh, well, that's uh, why they cut them out on like if you're just doing aria recording yeah. or something like oh, that. Yeah, yeah. Right. Doesn't make yeah. Sense. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I remember uh, when I first listened to this piece, you know, it was a studio recording. I think from the map with Cheryl Mills, and I just didn't really understand this ending thing. Mm -hmm. But then you see it, and you're then like, and oh. with really good, you know, performers who can really motivate the lines, and everything like that. Yeah, um, it brings out yeah so many more little like. Interactions and, and what becomes like the, the 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 love quadrangle that is you know the end of Carmen. Yeah. <laughs> so what do we think of wine number one? I was thinking it's a it's a yeah. good choice for this piece because you know the theme is that with dark big meaty reds. Mm -hmm. and my choices went toward the darker side of of, uh -huh. of, of the repertoires. Let's say mm -hmm. in, in 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 singer and in uh, music selection. But this wine is 
not nearly as dark as or, or as bold or as, as, as hardcore as you can go. And I think it's a good right. choice because it's a little bit on the gentler side, not mm -hmm. gentler, but, but brighter side. Yes, mm -hmm. brighter. Uh, brighter mm -hmm. uh, because bright. the, the, yeah. the, the, the theme yeah. in the music is very sweeping, it's very festive, it's very, you know, uh, upbeat. And I think that's a good choice because mm -hmm. it's not making it heavy or. Yeah, I get like yeah. dried berries. Uh, leather and yeah. like some vanillas on the nose, yeah. and then the palette is exactly what you said, Trevor. Bright fruit. Mm -hmm. A like, lot of black. It's got like right. bright blackberry. Black black yeah. yeah, yeah, it's pretty tasty. I, yeah, I, I it doesn't sort of bully over the head with the, sort of like the, the the things you think of like yeah, the, the tannins, you know. Right, they're right. there and they come in on the finish. Right. Yeah, mm -hmm. but they're not um, extremely. Um, out of balance with the rest of the wine, even after you've uh, swallowed and the tannins come present, you still taste some of the fruit. It's really mm -hmm. sweet too. Yeah. It's sweeter side, right? Yeah. 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 It does, but the fruit bit. seems ripe or mm -hmm. a little bit yeah. jammy. Right. Yeah. yeah. I have to go with what mm -hmm. Yeah. Agreed. All right. Well, well I real quick wanted to ask yeah, Joe yeah. before you moved into the wine, mm -hmm. bagging up to the music. Mm -hmm. Um. So when you worked on this mm -hmm. with, was it with younger singers? Younger singer. Singing this aria? Yes. Okay. And so, what were the challenges working with younger singers and this opera, not even particularly just this piece? Because people pick this sometimes thinking, well, it's popular, it'll be easy. <laughs> but, so, I, kind of what Trevor was saying earlier, I mean, knowing that you have to come out and, like, be this character in an opening of singing, I think it's just about having the, like, cojones to go out there and just do it you know what I mean um, and I think the challenge is just having the guts to, to, to do it um, but I, I was lucky enough to have a good experience with it um, was this for uh, for the for the opera or just for some no, it was just, or yeah it was it was a concert mm -hmm. and this was one of the selections yeah. so I'm not young young singer but like you know 20 that's young. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Yeah. yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, in our business, that would definitely be a young artist. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah sure. <laughs> <laughs> you wasted on the young. Right. Indeed. No. But anyway, so I guess uh, if we're not done, we should dump and you want to yeah. move the Yeah, if you're not done, I might have slightly over-poured. So, no, you know, no. I won't. Yeah, right, we'll right. move on to selection number two and wine number two. All right. Okay for me to start? Yep.
That was mine. Right? That is, uh, yeah, the, the proper title is, it's, it's The Roast It's Juan. Signus Ustus Cantat. Yeah, The Roast It's Juan. The Roast It's Juan. Yes, meat. From Carmina Burana by, uh, by Carl Orff. Uh, that was uh, Lawrence Brownlee. Yes! Oh, yes. Wow. It's blurry, it's gotta be! Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, Simon Rattle conducting uh, the Berlin Philharmonic. That was Berlin Philharmonic, yeah. Um, yeah, I, 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 I get a kick out of this piece because it's from the point of view, uh, it's, it's told from the point of view of a swan being roasted on a spit, uh, which is not a point of view really explored in most classical music. Um, and I thought it was sort of unique to, to the discussion uh, mm-hmm. at hand. Um, and I'm sort of fascinated by what seems to be this growing trend in performing this particular movement. Um, whereas in, in most of the criticism and analysis I've, I've heard of this performance, as you can hear, it goes super high and stays super high. And from what I was able to piece together, not ever having sung it. <laughs> um, Orff intended most of it to be sung in falsetto, but mm-hmm. I, the, in the, the, the time that I was a soloist in this piece, the tenor sang the whole thing full voice. Mm-hmm. Brownlee sings it full voice. And it, it seems to sort of mirror what was the practice with like the 9C aria in uh, Dar the Regiment, mm-hmm. where from uh, what, what I've was able to read. Don had said he didn't really intend for all nine high C's to be sung full voice, but you know, tenors sort of take that challenge. And he said, "You tell me, I got to sing in falsetto," and they just sort of. It's not even the style of singing, right? right mm-hmm. Yeah. Anymore. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't, as a tenor, choose to do Daughter of the Regiment. You couldn't do those. Right. Mm-hmm. Even even the, even, the, even though we're also in an age where original performance practice is mm-hmm. is in some circles, perhaps not in 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 large opera houses. Such a uh, uh, um, a priority. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, large opera houses, yes, that has a bearing on things too, does yeah. it not? Well, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I mean, it does. Um, but but I, I think that's a lesser consideration with with this concert because hall I mean, in this piece, concert hall, and, and plus, and, and the orchestration is pretty pretty minimal. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think I think the strings are all muted and, yeah, and stuff yeah. like that. It's very um, and Orf, but oh, and Orf really loves exploring that part of the voice. He does it with the baritone too. It does. Um, uh, where he indicates in, in falsetto, and um, yeah, and, and it also reminded me of this grotesque story that I couldn't corroborate, but I, I think I think I heard it in high school, where it's like some decadent style of preparing a swan or a goose for for feasting, where you would like just build a big ring of fire around it and just <laughs> let the thing just you know wander around and, and until it, it actually. Cooked itself and 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 you slice it while it was still alive. I'm like, oh, that's that's. Oh, oh nice. no, thank you. Did I think about that? Well, so okay, so being me, I, I looked it up and I couldn't really find anything on that. But there is a style of preparing a a dress swan from the from the medieval period where you would before putting on the spit, uh, you would you know gut it and, and skin it with the feathers still on, and then after you would you would prepared it put the skin and the feathers back on and then dress it that way. So I wonder if that story that I heard maybe when I was in high school was was sort of derived from that, you know, sort of plain telephone style Mm -hmm. uh, from that uh, thing. But uh, so the the, the swan in this case is sort of just mostly bemoaning his fate. He says, you know, I used to be, uh, uh, I had once thought the lakes, I had been beautiful when I was a swan. Then, Then the people 
who are about to eat him say, poor wretch, you know, how black and, and roasted you are. Yum, and, yum. Yeah, yum, yum. <laughs> uh, and, keeps, and, and, and it goes through two more iterations of that. Um, um, Orf really loves his, his strophic yes, um, arias in Carmina Burana. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I definitely like this choice because I don't think there's anybody who's ever sung in Carmina Burana um, who doesn't get into kind of that uh, rollicking, masculine drinking mm-hmm. scenes and, and this kind of animalistic, you know, almost barbaric sounds mm-hmm. which go great with his theme. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No. I really like this recording, actually. I've, I've not heard this one mm-hmm. um, because I like the tempo that's chosen. It's a little, mm-hmm. Actually, I, I've done the piece, I think, three or four times, and it's usually that the, the conductor chooses to make it a little more ethereal, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and diaphanous, and this this is pretty aggressive tempo-wise, and also his performance of it is very, it's on the edge, it's very frantic on the edge, which yeah. is appropriate. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, funny, it's funny that people <laughs> often choose a different feel for this piece when it, I think this is more appropriate. It is, and his, uh, his voice, from what you were talking about, Trevor, his voice uh, gives um, an anxiety yes, because of the because of his natural. That's Larry's natural vibrato in that register that right. adds that kind of you know that fear element, which is but really cool. At the same time, but it, it going back to just crazy technique. It doesn't. No. Sound no. on the no, edge no, of the technique. No, no, not yeah. stress. It's yeah. exciting. Exactly. Yes. It's exciting. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's that. There's that. That thrill in performance where this is, you, you you wonder if the performer's going to make it, but you you know they are. Right. You know that that right. that's it's a really cool thing to to really be a part of in a live performance. This is live recording. Um, Who is the conductor? Uh, Simon Rattle. Yeah. Well, I, I, I was really excited when you submitted this piece because I, of all of Car- Carmina Burana, this is probably one of my favorite mm-hmm. pieces from it. And being a woman, we never sing in it. But um, all, a lot of my friends who might be listening to this will laugh because we had kind of a crazy Carmina Burana tour through Florida. Mm-hmm. And, uh, with the Bulgarians. I, with the Bulgarians. And I have a very special interpretive dance to this particular <laughs> song that involves like some arm fluttering and all kinds of stuff. So uh, if this were not a podcast, I would, you know, show the, the special interpretive dance, but it's a podcast. You can show us so. and we can audio describe it. No, that's okay. okay. That's okay. Yeah, we'll mind. just, you know, yeah. I'll we'll get just out, I'll listen and enjoy. Yeah, no, 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 that's okay. Put it in the show notes. But uh, yeah, and, and I love Larry Brownlee too, so mm-hmm. this was a an easy choice for me because it and you know a roast swan like, yeah i mean meaty meat. it is meat it's for meat. sure what is what is more meaty than the meat talking to you for sure <laughs> i mean hopefully wow. the meat doesn't talk to you after you've consumed it right no <laughs> <it helps not. laughs> there was that one there was that one uh bit in the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy where they breed an animal that uh that wants to be eaten and is capable of telling you so clearly and distinctly <laughs> Maybe the swan is sort of doing that too. He's bemoaning his fate, but at the same time, he's like know, singing beautifully, you yeah. know, accepting <laughs> the death. What he's here for? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's like nobody eats swan anymore, for sure. Right? Yeah. Right? No, no. It, I mean, like there are I think plenty. Peter would get there are plenty. Well, there are plenty of meats that have gone out of style. So, well, I mean, let's be honest. In, goose. in the U.S., yeah. in the U.S., it's pretty mm-hmm. much chicken, beef, pork, turkey. Maybe and, then, and then turkey, turkey occasionally, maybe some duck, duck. Um, 
Okay. Used to be used to be rabbit used to be really popular and used to have um, uh, turtle used to be really popular a couple Mm -hmm. hundred years ago. You know, turtle soup still is. It's it's really interesting that where and probably with agriculture has had a lot to do with it. But where where we don't not necessarily I say want to eat a swan, Mm -hmm. but I'm just saying it sounds so foreign to us because those things have fallen out of practice, but. I guess if PETA, as you say, yeah. has its way, well, all of these things would fall out. Well, and they're beautiful. Uh, no, and they are. are beautiful. Yeah. We have we have trouble eating things that cute are things. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. I, yeah, I mean, I, I, in anticipation that you would pick this, I I was sort of looking stuff up on swans. I, yeah, I mean, they're like property of English monarchs mm-hmm. and have been mm-hmm. since twelve hundreds. It's 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 really yeah. interesting. Yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know why it's. Sort of gone out of fashion, but yeah, I mean, apparently the, the taste is similar to goose. Oh. I don't know that I've even never had I've never had goose. Oh, I've yeah. never had I've had goose liver. Yeah. Yeah. A little mm, <laughs> I've had goose and I have had goose liver. Um, but uh, yeah. Anyway, so it's goose like. It's gamey duck. Yeah. And it's a little tougher. Okay. 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 Yeah. Um, okay, so now yeah. we're the one. Yes. What do we so think different. about wine number two? Yes, very It's so a bit, bit, bit older. It's it is. Drier, no? It's drier. It's drier. Yeah, it's drier. The nose is a lot more kind of woody and, mm-hmm. yeah. and vanilla-y. Yeah, and even the palate has a lot of vanilla on it yes. for me. Yeah. Okay. Wood and leather. Mm-hmm. Wood and leather, too. I agree. I much of that in this one as I did in the last one. Mm. I also get, for me, like a distinct... Uh, Blueberry note in the mm. core of the mm-hmm. fruit. Mm. For me, for me personally, blueberry notes in wine are very common in Shirazes. Mm. So, um, yeah, but it's um, it's good. I like mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's tasty. Mm-hmm. It's a lot less yeah. sweet. It's a little, little more bitter than there's a, there's, yeah. It's, yeah. a little bit like drier. Yeah, yeah, it's got a little. It's got a bit more going on. It's definitely earthier Earthy, than the first yeah. wine. It's got those kind of like mushroomy, yeah, those are mushroomy notes. notes. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Finishes longer. Yeah. Finishes yeah, longer. Definitely a longer finish. Yeah. And I would say, like, it probably has a higher alcohol content. Yeah. If you mm-hmm. look at the, yeah. the, the legs, legs on the. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. All right. That's nice. I like yeah. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are we ready for wine number three and selection number three? Sure. I'll yeah. dial it up. All right.
That's uh, Franco Corelli yep. um, singing uh, Asibet Mio Colesere and uh, Di Quella Pira, the cabaletta, which in this recording is a little like married up, so to speak. Yeah, well, little... because there was like there was like forty-five seconds of applause yes, yes. between the two, so I cut that. Um, was there a recit or something like that? No, there's, there's like a little dialogue-y thing yeah. there, and yeah. um, but. Um, so, yeah, but they, they, this is really looked at as one piece, Aria and Cavaletta, right? This weird, it's it kind of weird that it's broken up the way it is by Verdi. Um, but this is a live 1961 recording from Berlin, uh, uh, October of 61, with uh, uh, the chorus and orchestra of the Rome Opera. They were doing a tour. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it actually, it's interesting because this comes months after his Met debut, mm -hmm. was in this role in January of the same year. And um, so this was kind of like the role that he became known to American audiences on. Um, and a lot of people know him from this art because, I mean, come on. Yeah, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. If, that if that doesn't get you some attention, I mean, what will? Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah. and you, you know, you know, when when I thought of much like you were like when I, Joe, when you thought of like big meaty singing, you thought of this, yeah. you know, the, your uh, Toriador song. I was like Franco Corelli, right? Because mm -hmm. well, as everybody in this room knows, I used to be a baritone and changed to be a tenor. Mm -hmm. And while I was going this through this transition, I was at um, the National Opera Company, which was uh, in Raleigh, North Carolina. And so I was making this transition from baritone to tenor and uh, hanging out with all these other singers. And there was another singer there, um, Chuck Schneider, who loved Franco Corelli and would play his recordings. And I'd hear that voice and be like, damn, that is just, there's nothing but balls to the wall singing going on here. And me and I used to have this saying, like, you know, Corelli is not karaoke. You cannot sing along with Corelli. You will, about two-thirds of the way through or sooner, your voice will, like, stop. Your larynx will be on the ground begging for mercy because you can't do what he can't do. Mm -hmm. um, and it's interesting because he never had, he, he never really uh, embraced uh, having a regular voice teacher. He did for a while have the same voice teacher as Delmonico. But he didn't, apparently he didn't like, the, with the whole lower larynx kind of style of his singing and stuff, and he, but he didn't like the fact that uh, he felt that technique didn't have, like, the ability to do really good dimin diminuendo and, and kind of, and, and, and keep on the core of the voice. And so he kind of stopped taking with him and developed his own stuff, which actually, if you ever hear, like, his... Um, Celeste uh, Aida. I mean, there's some really beautiful demanding windows mm -hmm. there. So, mm -hmm. so he, but I mean, when I think of big meaty singing, he's one of the first voices I think of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because it's just, poof. yeah, lays it out there. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, he just, he just sings so through everything. I don't know. I mean, there's just. Mm -hmm. It's such a, a forceful direction. I think it's like a flinging, a constant yeah. flinging. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and part of that's maybe he does a lot of more portamento than 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 a lot of, than some singers do. I think right. maybe it's sort of one of the, the the distinctive elements of his style. 
is is he he'll really portamento through a lot more than 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 some than some singers connecting some things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Also hooks up to the top a lot too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, very hooked approach, which is sounds awesome in his voice. It, no complaints. You ever hear his recording of Faust? Probably with John Sutherland, <laughs> where where they splice in the high C of Salut. And there's this enormous edit you can hear. Well, I mean, back in the day, they didn't they didn't do as much editing. It wasn't as subtle, and it it was not subtle. I'm sure also a lot of those singers were like, I'm not putting whatever was there in. They got really demanding. I mean, as well they should. I mean, it's dangerous nowadays. I think for some singers' careers to have. You know, one bad recording on you know YouTube or something can can really hurt somebody's chances. Oh, yeah, um, it's it's weird how recording has changed since the time where we were all really studying. Uh, I mean, oh yeah, that's not that long ago. Well, you and I were in college together, Jason. Yeah, yeah, and that was like you know late nineties, you know, or so, and and when and, we when we bought CDs. When we were recording, I remember I made money recording people's stuff for auditions on a mini disc, which was, like, <laughs> which was considered <laughs> cutting. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That mini disc. Because the only people that bought it were music students. Right. Yes. Well, because it was one of the best recordings you could get, yeah. you know, portably. Mm-hmm. Like, it was handy, yeah. And it was Super very handy. But yeah, it was. It was one of those things where even then, and I talked about this much earlier in one of our podcasts here, even then I was amazed with how basic that was because it was digital, mm-hmm. how easy it was to cut things together. Mm-hmm. Like I remember I did the singer who uh, who sang beautifully, um, uh, uh, why can't I think of her name for Mileto? Um, Gilda. Gilda. Gilda's Gilda. aria, you know, oh, yeah. and she did the whole like recit and whatever, mm-hmm. and then she did the aria and all whatever, and then mm-hmm. she's like, well, I didn't like the way I did this, so it's like splicing those together, though, was like seamless. You couldn't mm-hmm. tell at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was yeah, I mean, easy, and that was like using a little handheld thing bigger, just bigger than a deck right. of cards. Mm-hmm. Right. But do you think that that, and that, I think, has created this unrealistic expectation mm-hmm. of live performers. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. You can splice note by note now. Oh, yeah. I mean, Glenn Gould was doing that in the 60s. I was recording recently, and he was like, you would not believe what they can do. Like, he, you can do note by note, syllable by syllable, yeah. um, editing for singers. It's crazy. And that's good and bad, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. yeah, I, 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 good, yeah. you can make, you know, because mm. you can make those things sound to some extent, but at the same time, like, live performance, the... To me, the fact that you can go to a live performance and someone can give the most amazing performance of their life just because that's what happened on that day mm-hmm. and you were there to see it, like that's a cool thing. Or they might give the worst performance of their life and you were there to see it. Like that's that's the excitement of live that's performance. Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's also, so it's cool. like, it, it, I mean, you know, I think actually in our art form, it's encroaching in terms of what they will start mm-hmm. to try and do to mm-hmm. alter live performances. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's through amplification or modification, mm-hmm. it's it, they're pushing against it. I know there's a big push back, and not, it's not like I, I'm going to say things like, 
oh, now you go to such and so opera house or whatever, and you, they're fudging stuff. But people are trying to push against the art form of vocal music, particularly, mm -hmm. um, to amplify it, which changes mm -hmm. the way people oh, sing, that's... and and then if they do that. It's only a matter of time before they start doing the same shit they do with pop singers, where like, mm -hmm. oh, you know, what's, oh, they're kind of flat. I'll just tune that up, you know, mm -hmm. and stuff. So because because the technology's there, if we if we as artists don't hold them at the gate, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it will change. Yeah. I Part of that's coming also out of the um, the uh, live to theater broadcasting yes. world because you have a marriage there of the of the live performance, mm -hmm. but you have to capture it somehow for the, uh, mm -hmm. the broadcast. What they do is they, um, of course, they broadcast it, and some singers are like some aren't uh, on those on those days, and um, some are even mic'd into the house sometimes. And they already have the microphone on. Mm -hmm. If you've got enough cachet, you can say to the, to the engineer, hey, you want me to bump me up a little bit in the house? And, and that can happen, which is, I think, on the, on the southern edge of cheating there. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I agree. I agree. It's, I mean, it's interesting, especially because you know, as classical singers, we never worried about mic technique, which if you, if you, if you look at pop singers or, or even now really musical theater. I mean, that's mm -hmm. that's a whole part of the study of the voice is how to use, whether it's, you know, a tiny little lavalier that's on your lapel or in your ear, over your ear or, 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 your or forehead or, yeah. Yeah, or, or a handheld mic, you know, I mean, that, or that's a whole other thing. Um, and, and yeah, it, it, it cannot help but change the way you sing. Right. Um, I think it also changes the way orchestras play. Mm -hmm. It can be dangerous, you know. If if they're used to not having to worry about listening to the singer, mm -hmm. just the, the guy on the board, yeah. the guy on the board will take care of the balance. Who cares? Mm -hmm. Then oh, the yeah. orchestras become less sensitive. And let's be honest. I mean, that's you know when you listen to certain recordings where they have where the orchestras and singers have taken their time to really make honest mm -hmm. dynamic changes. So that you've got, say, the volume a bit higher up than maybe you're comfortable with when it gets to the loud passage because you really want to hear the soft pianissimos. You know, the fact of the matter is what they're doing is dialing up and dialing down in mid-performance to keep some constant where there's a different... It's like you said, Trevor, when we were listening to the Carmina Burana. The excitement level is different. Mm -hmm. The color is different. It just turning up the volume log changes... How loud or soft, but it—it's the colors the that energy. you get and the yeah. energy that's different that makes it exciting when you change dynamics. And you, you lose the the ability for the singers and the orchestra to dialogue and then inspire each other in the moment mm -hmm. because there's no communication there. Well, you know all about that as a pianist, Joe. Yeah, the communication factor. Absolutely. <laughs> Actually, a friend and I were just talking today about the kind of re uh, uh, I don't know, the vinyl kind of coming back in again just because you know digital recordings are just getting so doctored and you can't recreate that kind of energy and nuance that's that's in, in vinyl and I just it's just sad to see the direction mm -hmm. because you don't have to do that I mean, you have a choice yeah yeah you, you, no matter how what you record on That's you can true. choose to let it be raw or or, right. or let it be real 
or you can doctor with it. I think that the temptation is just too strong by everyone involved to make it perfect. I think it's vanity. And perfect and perfection yeah. is yeah. boring in arts. Perfection yeah. is boring. You know, yeah. it's just how it is. It is. Yeah. Well, just, I mean, there's a pressure on us to, to, to have perfection. Right. And that's not what live performance is. No. It, I, I think back to like the, the old Carol Burnett shows where Tim, uh, Tim Conway and Harvey Corbin would just bust each other up <laughs> on camera. <laughs> Reported live or broadcast yeah. live, or, yeah, yeah. 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 But, but I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, just and they're just dying of laughter and just trying to get through the thing, get through whatever sketch they were, and, and it was, and it, it, they're amazing to watch, um, because they're you know that they're already such fine exponents of their craft at the top of their game. Okay, so what if they're you know they bust up? You know, I've seen great comedy executed live in the theater where you know. He just tells, like, all right, they're just going to take a second, get back into it, you know? And, and <laughs> if you agree to go on the ride with an artist that you trust, I think there are some manifestations of imperfection. Granted, mm-hmm. you know, comedy is, is different than, than opera sometimes. Um, <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, the, 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 the possibility and sometimes, yeah, the presence of failure is, is really... Um, and, and the recovery from failure. Yeah, yes, exactly. right. Exactly. Yeah. You root for the performers so hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if they can come back in a big way, it makes the, the magical evening, mm-hmm. even despite the mistake previously. Yeah. Yeah. It's really important. Agree. Mm-hmm. And that's why I liked the the Larry Brownlee's performance and then um, Corelli's performance because they both they brought they at least in these recordings and Corelli's famous for being on the edge all the time. Oh, I mean, just yeah. just like pushing the boundaries, and you can tell it's like. Right there, but mm-hmm. that makes it so thrilling. Well, it's right oh, right yeah. on the edge of and yes. choices in the live performance that yeah. people make all the time. Like in in that Corelli piece, there are recordings you hear of him live, very rights for uh, the tenor to sing along with the chorus. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there are times where he chooses, oh, I'm going to sing this part, but I'm not going to sing this part. Or I'm going to sing this part, and it's all about whether either he's in the moment with what's going on dramatically or he's got it vocally to do it, or it's going to set him up to do the end, but he always knows he has to deliver the end. Yeah. Right. You know? Right. Um, and so that's the thing about live performances. You don't know what's going to happen. Is it going to do this? Is it going to do that? How is it going to ha- And the other thing is live performance always makes me feel different. Mm-hmm. Yes, for sure. Yep. Yeah, because, I mean, because there is an exchange of stimulus. I mean, the the... the, the Audience, audience receives the stimulus of the performance and gives the stimulus of being viewed to the performer. I mean, right. it is really a, a two-way relationship. There's also a sense of the stakes. What's at stake? You know, mm-hmm. you have like risk involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good point. What's at stake? Yeah. I like it. Steak. A big meat. Yes, a big meat. Hey. Hey. hey! Thank you. Which this wine would go well. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what, what do we think about wine number two? Three. I mean, sorry, number three. three. Wow. Yes, wine number three. I'll drink another one. I don't it's, know. it's denser than yes. the yes. first two. It's, yeah, it's growing on me, though. At first I was like, oh, this is so, you know, heavy. And, and well, the aromatics are really kind of dark and kind of tannicy and very it's almost abrasive, almost. but not yeah. in a bad way. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm near the very bottom dark. of my glass, yeah. and I am sad. I know. I don't want this big wine. Her favorite leaf. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Very in your face. Really. Yeah, it's probably my favorite. Really strong. Of course, I know what all the wines are. It's amazingly so. large. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's very full body yes. yeah, in that sense. And I think it is, the tannins are a little 
uh, sweeter or silkier than the previous mm -hmm. wine, number two. It's not yes. quite as drying. Mm -hmm. I would agree. Um, I, get, I get some blueberry notes in here, too. Yeah, there's some blueberry notes. Um, I get I get blackberry again. There's there's some there. There's, there's yeah. a lot of dark blue blackberries. Yeah. Can you look at any dark cherry? Yeah. Oh, sure. That's sure. Yeah. Cherry and and it's mm -hmm. it's a little earthier than the last one too. Mm -hmm. I think. Mm, for me, it's not quite as earthy as no? the second one. The second one was the earthiest. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Low me. Yeah. Low. Yeah. Low me. Wish I thought of that the previous one. Yeah. Well, you know. <laughs> well, this would be the part where you ask us what yeah, our favorites so are. Yeah, so which ones were your favorite? Jay, which one is your favorite? Three followed by two. Okay. Trevor? Your favorite? Tough call. Yeah? I think two, three, and one. Okay. I, Jason? I think I like one. Okay. One was my favorite. One. All right. All right. So two ones. A two and a three. Very, very good. Yeah. All right. So All right. I will pour. Before that, I'll move yeah. on to the fourth selection. Oh.
there. I know. Please. Did you know for you? Yeah. Awesome. You ruined it, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll edit that out. Yeah. <laughs> so that was hmm. that was George London, um, in I think a 1958 studio, studio recording with the Vienna Phil. Not I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, of course, it's Wotan's farewell from Deep Alfura. Uh, mm-hmm. um, yeah. My favorite of the rings uh, of the four ring cycle mm-hmm. uh, entries, and George London is. If I had to pick a favorite singer, just of, that I had to listen to the rest of my life, would be him. Mm-hmm. Um, because to me, his voice, especially singing Wagner, like he was the first Wotan I ever heard. He's on that big Schulte recording. Uh-huh. It was Wotan for just Heingold. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's a shame because I love his voice so much yeah. in that. Mm-hmm. And um, the, his vocal production, compared to say the traditional Wagnerian singer, is who have to be a impressively loud um, and impressively long, you know, impressively gifted with stamina. Right, long phrasing. Um, yeah. And then, of course, the being able to express the language correctly, which is very difficult. Mm-hmm. He does that with a much more nuanced and elegant vocal production than I think any other vo- low voice mm-hmm. singing Wagner today or, or any any time. It's, it's so evenly produced, beautiful throughout, but it still has all the heft and color yeah, and I mean, gravitas you need. Right. Um, it's not. Sh- it's never shouty or, or yeah. yelling like a lot of well, Marys do. When, when he started singing, Jason and I made eye contact, and I think we were both thinking it was "Get in My Van" uh, <laughs> Morris. And, uh, and, and, and because there was a little bit of that color in right. the beginning, and then as it went on, I was like. It is not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is not Jimmy. It, it it is. I thought it was George Lennon right. because there is it an a cavernous Italianate sound yes, Italian to his sounds. voice. Right. Mm. No, it doesn't. It doesn't lose anything with that in, in the German rep, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it adds to it because it's it's just so gorgeous. I don't think I ever heard George Lennon ever sing. Italian rap. Oh, oh, Italian rap. Yeah, yeah, he does. He does. Oh, they sing Mozart very well. Great house. Scarpia. Scarpia. Oh, Scarpia. Yeah. yeah. I think. Yeah. I, think I heard him do all the all the Wagner stuff, and then yeah. I think I heard him do like the uh, the the Brahms uh, four serious songs, four serious songs, and it just and they start very low and very small. Right. Mm-hmm. But, or, but there's just like just just like a, there's a cavern yes. in his throat. At, but at the same time, there's an extremely forward placement. You know, it, it, it rings so pure and bell-like at the, at, you know, mm-hmm. in, that, in that cavern. It's, I think it's a very unique sound. It is. Um, and it's very Beautiful. versatile because mm-hmm. he, can sing, he can sing anything. He sings Mozart, mm-hmm. Italian rep, oh, yeah. German rep. Uh, all of it is stunning to listen to. Mm-hmm. Just from, because I, I enjoy the physical act of singing, I, I can imagine being him, it must be the greatest thing in the world. People <laughs> sing like that because it's just. It, you open your mouth. Yeah, it's just, it just pours yeah, out. Yeah, right. I mean, even compared to say, uh, we heard the uh, Sam Raimi in the beginning. Um, I feel like London has the same level of mastery as Raimi does. The ease of production, but there's an extra ring in there. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's an extra color or overtone 
that maybe Rami, the Rami doesn't quite I was going to say, it just yeah. seems like there's a little more space yeah. in there. Mm-hmm. Whereas, ring. in, yeah, like, yeah, it's just like there's a little more ring, a yeah. little more space in the sound. It's, it, it, if there was one way to say it, like if you, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of the resurgence of 3D movies, etc. Mm-hmm. right now, but there are times where you see a 3D movie and there's, different levels of depth. Mm. It's almost like there's an extra reach of depth mm. Mm. Totally in that mm. sound. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I could have heard of it. It's amazing on a, on a pretty rough recording. Yeah. Good person. Oh. Yeah. Well, I got I got to hear um, Valkyrie for the first time last year in person. Mm. Well, Rangel. Yeah. Rangel too. This is Rangel. Mm-hmm. Oh, so this is Valkyrie. This is Valkyrie. Yeah. yeah. Oh, he, he, so he's saying yeah. that. Oh, well, there was a the Schulte. 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 Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Hence confusion. Sorry. Yeah. No worries. So. Did you see it from that? Or? No. So it, it Washington oh, no, and yeah. WNO and uh, this was probably one of my favorite parts. Votan's. Mm-hmm. His farewell. His farewell as he's off. Like so. Yeah. So when you sent this, I was like. Oh. One of my selections yeah. was from the Valkyrie. Yeah. I know. Uh, I would have picked. Well, I love it, so I would have picked them both. But yeah. I thought maybe our no, no, it's all good. It's all good. And you can't get any you know. bolder, meatier than the, that brass. Definitely. Oh, yeah. oh my god! Yeah. 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 I can literally feel it. Like, like taste it. It's yeah. Amazing. Right? Amazing. Exactly. Yeah. And the, and it's sure. that I don't think is. I think with seeing Wagner or hearing it live in performance, the brass just sounds so different. Yeah. Live. Yeah. Than yeah. Of any and even the finest. Done right. recording. It's it's an experience. It's kind of mm-hmm. like I, right now I'm in eclipse withdrawal, and <laughs> after the ring cycle finished, or my version of the ring cycle finished last year, my my first ring, um, I was I was a little bit in depression because I was like, mm-hmm. it's over. Mm-hmm. I don't get to go back. Like so. <laughs> well, well, yeah. It, it, it's also it's the f- we talked about the connection, Jason. It's that feeling mm-hmm. you actually. Feel the brass. Yeah, right. you're in the you absolutely do. Mm-hmm. You don't just hear it. Yeah. 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 And what you're saying, Paige, is um, people get that withdrawal from from this cycle. Yes. And that's why they travel all the world. And they follow the <laughs> yes. cycles around. They, they mm-hmm. attend every single one that's put on the world. Yeah. People that do that. Yeah. That, that, wow. they, that, that when they, they retire on the lottery, they say travel yeah. the world. Yeah. They yeah. See yeah. All the so it's cycles. almost like a celestial experience. Right. Like it this, is the total solar eclipse. So. Right. I need to find another ring cycle, and I have to do the <laughs> next total solar eclipse in 2024. 2024. Maybe they'll all align together. I know, right? Ooh. Can you imagine? <laughs> I saw right. someone anyway. who uh, who found a place where well, the not only they could observe the eclipse, but also uh, see the International Space Station transit. Oh, wow. oh, a solar see? eclipse, even at its longest, is a few minutes. And right. the ring cycle, even yeah. at its hours. shortest, it's is like, like 17 hours. hours. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, if Amazing. you've got to... Uh, Anna Russell can get it down to 20 minutes. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> That's still longer than a solar eclipse. Do you remember Alvarez? <laughs> So do we want to reveal the wines? If you're ready to, please do. I'm ready to reveal the wines. All right. So wine number one, which was Joe and Jason's favorite. Yes. This is the Vogel Essential Red 2012 from California. Okay. It's about three vintages old. It is. So it's a 2012, mm-hmm. um, and it is a blend of uh, Old Vine Zinfandel, uh, Cabernet, Petite Syrah, and one other grape I should put in my notes, and I can tell you. 
Syrah. So regular Syrah. Careful, man. There's a beverage here. Yeah. And it's, um, so it is aged. So this, actually, this vintage is aged in American and French oak for 18 months. Mm -hmm. The most recent vintage, which was 2015, is aged in American French oak, but only for 12 months. So okay. maybe. And it's about 13.5% alcohol by volume, so ABV. Mm -hmm. And so what you guys will like about this, this retails for anywhere from about 11 to $12. Really? Nice. I'm a cheap date. Yeah. You know, when I bought that bottle of wine, um, it was $8 a bottle. Um, I tasted it before it was reviewed by any of the publications, mm -hmm. and I immediately pounced on it, and a month later, it was getting 91 and 92 wow. yeah. for $8 yeah, a bottle, absolutely. which is why it now is 11 dollars $12. $12. But oh. still, like for, hey, for like a It's a lot of bacon. Yeah. Delicious. That's, yeah. that's, that's very important because my fiance and I just came back from uh, from Sonoma. Yeah. More than $11 exactly. on a bottle of wine. Yeah. So <laughs> that's about yeah. all that we can afford if exactly. we're going to eat but it's that. a, yeah, I, I would say it's one of the best values you'll find yeah, out because yeah. it's, it's really tasty and yeah. it's, it's a, a delicious blend for that. Mm -hmm. They do a good job at both. They do. So wine number two. Which Mr. Schumann selected. Yes. So this is the Jacob's Creek Double Barrel Shiraz from Australia. Oh. And what's special about this wine is that it, um, they, they make it like their normal Jacob's Creek Shirazes, and I think it's a 2015 vintage, although this double barrel, they call it just the third vintage. Um, they actually age it in whiskey barrels after they do their normal bourbon, bourbon? Yeah. so specifically bourbon, after they do their traditional French and American oak aging. Mm. Um, and it's about 15% ABV. Mm -hmm. um, and this one, actually, Jay, you can tell about where we got this one. Oh, so uh, we have... Uh... That, well, I have uh, one of my wine reps who uh, likes our podcasts, mm -hmm. and so gave Paige and I this task of three blind wines to choose one for this podcast, um, and so we tasted them blind on my other podcast, Baron and Beverage, and, um, and we tasted these blind and talked about them, but then Paige selected, after knowing what they were, which one, this is the one she picked, yeah. which... Um, I forget how much it costs. It is about uh, about twenty dollars a bottle. Yeah, and it definitely has something unique in there. I think there's yeah. extra. Yeah. We talked about like the extra vanillas mm -hmm. and the and, and, I, and, I and the like woodiness. The yeah, I feel like the whiskey makes it a little. It's very loamy. Yeah, loamy. There you go. Now you got it in. Got loamy. Yeah, and it's um it, it's a little smoother I think yeah. than it would be if it had not mm -hmm. been in the whiskey barrels. You liked two better than three. I did. All right, so wine number three. That's one you said your wife would like wine. Yes. Wine number three. Right. For her, right. that's the one. The yeah. So wine number three of is four. a Molly Duker 2012 Cabernet Sauvignon, um, which is their Mater D is the name of it. And it is uh, from, as I said, off from Australia. Um, McLaren Vale is where Molly Duker is based. And Molly Duker is uh, shorthand for, or sort of their slang for left-handed. Mm. So, um, and this one is actually aged in 79% American oak, 21% French oak, um, and about half of the oak is new oak, and the other half is about a year old. 
and it's a little higher in alcohol, so it's 15.5 percent. Yeah, but uh, it's quite delicious as well. And that retails for? It retails uh, anywhere from about mm, 25 to 28, kind of depending on yep. where you get it. Seems so. like a good deal. I have to have yeah. So none of those wines are like way out there. No, 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 no. no. no for sure. Yeah. They've had a local wine shop. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah. I, I mean, like, like when we're talking about big winemakers, Bogle, uh, Jacobs Creek, and Molly Duker. Now, Molly Duker is, it's not cultish like Screaming Eagle in Napa Valley, where, like, you got to be on some list somewhere yeah. to get it, but it's cultish enough that some wine stores won't carry it or won't carry mm -hmm. all of them. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that one, the Major D, is part of what they call their lefties. That's their entry level tier. So they have a Cab and a Shiraz and a Merlot and a blend. They all basically cost that same mm -hmm. price zone. Mm -hmm. um, so you might go out to a store and they might have one or two of those, but they may not have all four of those, um, et cetera. Um, but they're, you know, yeah, they're pretty ready. If, if you go yeah. to a, a Total Wine, They'll they're gonna have any yeah. of these. Right. Yeah. Sure. If you go to say like, your neighborhood shop, they may have one or two of them, and maybe three, but but at least one or two. Yeah. Charles and Reed sells one or two of them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, they're pretty ready available. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, so our playout song. Yes. Jay mm -hmm. picked our playout song for the evening. Yes. Uh, so I chose this piece by uh, uh, Louis Armstrong. Um, so uh, it, the playout piece, for those who haven't listened, is just a non-classically trained vocalist um, and singing something so it's usually jazz or standardy or whatever and um, I've always felt like Louis's voice has like this gravelly gravitas meaty maybe sinewy or gristly but still meaty sound to it mm -hmm. and I, I grew up like loving watching movie musicals and this piece that he sings he's going to sing is high society it's from right at the beginning of the film it's calypso it's jazz it's fun and i really like it so i thought it'd be a good play out song all right just take that scenery floating by when i approach a new But now we're going to be in high, high, so high society, high society. I wanna play for my former back. He runs a local dance festival. His name is Lexler, and he's the news. Some kind of tells me that boy is nursing the blues in high, high, so Stop that wind and kill that match. 
as you come back to your son.